We have Tim, who's going to be speaking first, then Chris, and then Ben. And they're going to just bring different aspects to a revelation of fathering, what it means to be fathers as followers of Jesus and followers of the ultimate father. So if they can all come to the front, that would be great. And let's welcome them up, shall we? Do you want to stand and welcome them? And they'll introduce themselves as they come. Let's welcome up Tim, who's going to be speaking first. Um, okay, my name's Tim. Uh, good morning to you all. Happy Father's Day. And the aspect of fathering that I'm going to be speaking to you about is fathering a blended family. All the shock faces, don't worry, there's no liquidizers or uh, anything involved. A blended family is quite a modern term, and it refers to a family where some or all of the children are not biologically related to both parents. And it's becoming an infrequently use term because blended families are more and more common uh, and families can, can become blended in all sorts of different ways. There's fostering, adoption, hold the mic up Tim, uh, bereavement and then there is the perhaps the most common divorce and remarriage which would be my story. So quick bio, I have been married to the amazing Sarah who is over there somewhere for 20 years and we have both been married before. We have four children who may or may not make an appearance on the screen. Ethan, who is 28 from Sarah's first marriage. Hannah and Kian, who are 28 and 23 respectively from my first marriage. And then Noah, who has graced us with his presence. He's out of bed before midday from our marriage. And also we have one granddaughter, River, who is six months old. I think I might have uh, used that picture too early. I should have saved it for later, but hey. It's fair to say from the outset that many of the challenges that face us as fathers in a blended family are very similar to the challenges faced by all fathers. But because of the practical realities of our situation, some of them take on a greater significance. Um, so what are the challenge that are challenges that are particularly prevalent in the context of a blended family? And how do you deal with them? Or perhaps more accurately, how did I deal with them? Well, let's take a look, and hopefully that will help those of you who are fathers in blended families, those of you who are mothers in blended families, those of you who are children in blended families, and those of you who are friends with people in blended families. First of all, shame. So what does shame look like in this context? Well, there's the shame of being a divorcee, separated. After our relationship with God... Our marriage is perhaps the most important relationship which we have. And to fail at that carries, as you can imagine, a lot of shame. When you throw into the mix children and the stigma of being labelled an absentee father, then you're getting double whammy. And the reality is that you feel constantly that you have to justify yourself for not being present on a daily basis for your children. When the reality is that that's almost inevitably through force of circumstances rather than a matter of choice. And it's really difficult. It is really difficult. There is a stigma about being an absentee father. Secondly, there's disappointment and guilt. There's disappointment in yourself. You feel that you've let down your kids by not being around on a daily basis. You can feel guilty that you're spending more time with someone else's child than your own. Ethan has always called me dad. We have a great relationship and I love him as much as I love any of my four kids. 
But when he would call me dad in front of his own dad or in front of my children, my first reaction was guilt at how that made them feel when it should really have been pride that he felt loved and safe in my presence. But it wasn't. Thirdly, FOMO. Now, I appreciate that not everyone in the uh, uh, congregation is as young as me, so you probably don't know what FOMO is. Can I just say that I'm not referring to the well-known teenage condition, fear of moving out. This is actually <laughs> fear of missing out. Now, if there are any other acronyms, just as an aside, if there are any other acronyms that you're struggling with, the acronyms that we young people use all the time, we have a large contingent of innovation in this morning, and they will be only too happy to clarify any that you don't know, and Ollie or Owen will also sign you up at the same time to the innovation team. You won't regret it, believe me. Anyway, I digress after that shameless plug of the youth team. How, then, do we deal with these things? Well, FOMO is, is, is a difficult thing to deal with in particular. What does it look like? Well, there's not being with your kids on Christmas Day as a given. There's not being with them on their birthdays as a given. Not being present to physically console them when they're having a bad day. And not being there to celebrate with them on a good day. And these things are really difficult to deal with. They are joy robbers. They're painful. And when you throw guilt and shame into the mix, it's really, really difficult. You see, no dad has an endless source of resources to deal with these emotional, painful, challenging feelings. There's only one dad who has an endless resource to deal with that, and that's our father, God. The great news is that we get to draw on his resources. I learned the hard way that guilt, shame and disappointment have no place in my life. God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that I would not be subject to those in any area of my life, let alone one as important as fatherhood. And I learned that I needed to walk in my identity as a son before I could walk into my identity as a father. So how do we do that? Ten minutes to speak on blended families is not a great deal of time. So I said to God, well, look, what do you want me to, do, to talk about? And he very clearly reminded me that he's the father of the biggest blended family that there is. And if you look around you, you will see that's true. We're not drawn together by biology, by genes, by race, by colour, by stage in life, by experience. We are drawn together by one heavenly father. He has blended us together in a family that was created out of love. So what characteristics of how God fathers our blended family did I find especially encouraging and helpful in my own journey? Well, the first was definitely sacrifice. God sent his only son to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. And I quickly worked out that I needed to emulate his sacrificial heart. A lot of the time that involves sacrifice of time. You don't get to do the things that you want to do because you have to show your kids that they are worthy, that they are valuable, and you spend time with them. I had lengthy journeys to go and pick Hannah and Kean up, and it was important when I returned from those journeys, taking them back, that I spent time with Noah and Ethan. Now, Showing your sons that they are valuable through spending time with them, for me, was very easy because they all share my love of football. 
Although it did get rather tricky when Noah decided to support Liverpool and not the mighty Nottingham Forest. But I'm working through forgiveness. <laughs> My daughter was dif different. I don't know if this is anyone else's experience, but she wanted to do things that took way longer than a game of football. Um, and I won't give away what my secrets were, but if I were to enter mastermind, my specialist subject would definitely be the Spice Girls. <laughs> Secondly, persevere with a love that is unconditional. Never give up. Just don't give up. You will be tempted. I was tempted to go up. I thought, I cannot put myself through this any longer. But you don't give up. You look to God. He never gives up on us. Never gives up on us. You see... Perseverance and unconditional love are valuable characteristics in any father. But I would suggest that fathers in a blended family require them in bucket loads. I'll give you an example. When your child says to you, I hate you, I wish you weren't my dad. That's incredibly painful. When that is the last time that you will see them for a week, it's awful. When that happens six weeks in a row, it's devastating. But you see, my son who said those things was no different to me when my relationship with God fractured. You lash out in anger and pain and bitterness because you're hurting. And God didn't give up on me. He didn't wash his hands of me. He didn't say, you can't say those things. That's it. I'm done. And I didn't do that with my son. However difficult it was, it's not easy. I did my best to love my son despite how his words hurt me because that's what God had shown me. He never gave up on me. I never gave back on my, up on my son. I went back every week, smiled through the pain and loved him. And just like God's loving kindness won me over, then my unconditional love drew him close and our relationship is now beautiful. So in conclusion, I would urge you, don't entertain shame, guilt or disappointment. Instead, Look to the father of our wonderful, diverse and challenging blended family. Be sacrificial. Never give up. Love unconditionally. The same son whose words cut me to the bone when I fell ill with cancer phoned or texted me every day to say how much he loved me and how proud he was of me. That was a massively redemptive moment for both of us. You see... Although we may learn the hard way, what we do learn is that whatever the challenges, love always wins. Always wins. So my exhortation to all of us as members of a blended family, whether we realise we were in one or not, is to love, love, and then love some more. As those amazing 20th century philosophers, Sister Sledge put it, we are family. I've got all my sisters and brothers and me. You see, when God blended us together in love, he even gave us a family crest. It's a cross flanked by a lion and a lamb. There you go. Spice Girls, Sister Sledge, Heraldry, the hat trick. So what we need to do is, even if this is not an issue that you personally face, is live like we are family. Be family to each other by standing together with those who, like me, this is a daily reality. We all need to play our part in making sure that guilt, shame and disappointment have no place in any family. And that, as I said, we need to make sure that love always wins out.
Hello, good morning. Happy Father's Day. My name is Chris, and uh, if I don't know you, um, I have the privilege of being father to four fantastic children. Uh, I, I slipped up, guys. Sorry, I didn't get your photo on the screen, but um, it might have involved me having to pay you money because I'd then have to name your names. I, I'm going to have to do this now anyway, aren't I? Uh, so Edward, George, Henry, and Anna who's not here this morning, um, my fantastic four, my fab four. And um, uh, some of you know my wonderful wife, Rachel Vincent. I've been asked to speak uh, this morning on spiritual fathering. We're talking about a subject that was Jesus's favorite subject. He had huge delight in his heart every time that he got to model or talk about his father. We sometimes think that Jesus' main objective was to die on the cross. That was not his objective. That was the means to an end. The objective was deal with sin so that I can actually enable you lot down here to experience what I've been experiencing up in heaven as I've been part of this family. The family that has a culture shaped by my heavenly father. And his problem was that as he came down to earth with this one mission... His problem was that when he mentioned the word father, it would mean such different things to what it meant to him from what had shaped him in heaven. 2007, as a family, we went on adventure and we went to another nation. And our objective was to bring the kingdom of heaven and the culture of heaven to model something of what father was like in a new nation. Our problem was exactly the same. When we mentioned the word father... What came up first in people's minds was controlling religious abuse. We couldn't even use the word father for a season until we had modeled a culture where that notion of father was shifted to what it was like up there, down here. When, I'm, when I use that word father, what comes to your mind? I suggest that probably it fits somewhere on a scale. At one end of the extreme, we would have images like this one. The passive, the absent, the fearful, the dork, the, the father who in some way is absent. And that's just as damaging as the other end of the extreme where it's controlling, angry, aggressive, manipulating. My experience was that my, my father died when I was quite young and therefore through death I experienced an absent father. And that did just as much damage as a present, aggressive, abusive father. It's no wonder then that Jesus' primary objective was to model and invite the disciples into his life, into his family, where he could reshape a culture such that their idea of father shifted. That's what mothers and fathers do, isn't it? A mother and a father, in order to represent the Godhead, we've been made in the image of God, male and female. Therefore, it takes a man and a woman to model a culture that replicates an environment that produces growth. Adults, from children through teenage years to adults, who know what it is to be adult like father in heaven is adult. How do you become a father? Well, let's read a couple of verses before we, we ask that question. Um, Jesus said this in John 14. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. You need to see who the Father is. I'm going to show you. 
by my life. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the, the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus rocks up into an environment where a woman's being accused of adultery, feel the atmosphere, feel the culture, external rules, you must, you shouldn't. Jesus comes in, he doesn't judge. In fact, he takes a moment just to doodle in the sand on the floor and the culture shifts. Heaven breaks in. You need to have a new idea of what Father is like. Why? Um, I would argue this morning, amongst all the things that we could talk about in terms of why fathers are important, fathers and mothers model covenant. Covenant's not a particularly popular concept in our society today. Um, It's more about me, I, self, than about we, us, team, family. But you can't have as it is in heaven, down here on earth, unless you first have covenant. A mother and a father are meant to model through their covenant love something of the taste, something of the feel of the culture of heaven so that the children grow into that. What's a covenant? The image that I found most helpful is looking at these guys. Down the road from us in Dublin, where we used to live, in Fasero, there were great big groves of these giant redwoods. And what you've noticed, if you've ever been to California and you've seen some of these guys, three, four hundred feet tall, some of them. Some of them have existed for 800, 900, 1,000, 1,500 years. How is it that they have remained so strong? First thing is, you only ever find them in community. You only ever find them in family or in a grove. And for the simple reason that their main root isn't very deep. Instead, lateral roots spread out and latch on to all the other trees in the groves. If trees could speak and you could listen in, what they'd be saying is, I'm not going to let go of you. My strength, feel it right now. You're going to benefit from my strength. I've got a source of love and acceptance and identity that doesn't come. It's not dependent on how you respond to me. Instead, I'm going to keep that switched on. I've established that. Might have taken me a little while as a father to establish that, and I might need to keep going back every day to replenish that, but I know where my acceptance comes from. And as a result, you're now going to feel the strength of my love, the things that Tim was just describing about. How do you become a father? Three things very quickly, then I'm going to hand over to to Ben. The first thing is we need to learn to become a child in the family. Why is that? For the simple reason that we need to learn that we're part of a team. We do that as parents, don't we? It's now time for you to share your toys. I don't want to share my toys. What's that? That's me. That's I. That's independent. No, you need to now learn that you're part of a unit. A unit that will thrive if you're part of it. You'll die and wither if you're not. And as a result, we learn to become dependent. We also learn to trust leaders. We also learn to not trust leaders. But it's designed to engender in us a deep-rooted trust that says, that man, that woman is going to do me good. And as a result, I'm going to open my life up to them. Second thing that we 
need is that we need to then progress from the dependent child phase to the phase where we learn to make mistakes well. That's the phase of the teenager, the independent. Choices, they get choices. They can now make choices to build or to break. And the, the one who's established in secure love from heaven isn't frightened of their children making mistakes. Instead, they'll turn the mistake-making into opportunities for growth. You're now not going to feel my wrath as you make mistakes. That's true of God and us, isn't it? It's been settled on the cross. We don't have to feel the anger of God. How do you feel when you make mistakes? Is that where you go to? Because that's not what the Father's like, and you need to shift your picture of the Father, just like Jesus had to do when he first came to the planet. Instead, fathers and mothers who are rooted in unconditional love can go, we need to talk about this mistake, and you need to clear the mess up, but actually what you don't need to do is to feel my wrath and my anger. That's been sorted. That's been settled. Instead, you can learn from this. That's what the prodigal did, isn't it? In the pigsty, what did he have revelation of that brought him back to family? Father. In my father's house, it's not like this. Boy, I need to go back to family. Third thing, we then get to bring the strength of our unconditional love to covenant. Who are the people that you're in covenant with today? Wife, husband, are you courting, children, team at work, team here in church? You're meant to leave a deposit just like those trees, just like the grove of the redwoods, where people feel your unconditional love and strength. I'm not going to let go of you, even though you've treated me in a way that I don't want to be treated. I'm, I might have some honesty with you. I'm not afraid of that because I've learned that even if I get it wrong, mistakes now don't shape me. Instead, the unconditional love of the Father does. Learn to be a child of the house where we learn to trust. Is that where you are and you found it hard to trust? Find someone with a great heart, someone whose heart you feel like they will do me good. I will hear them shouting over me their strength and their love. Go and serve them. Go and find a team in whatever context you're building in and learn to be a child of the house where you learn to be part of family, not independent and isolated, but part of a team. How about making mistakes? Do you give yourself a hard time every time you make mistakes? That's not how Father handles you. He may want to have an honest word. He, instead, he wants it to, to be instructive and to, to build you stronger and stronger. And then how about you bringing your covenant love? You've learned how to keep your love switched on. You're not afraid of making mistakes, even though you know you will do it. But as a father or a mother, you can now bring your strength to any setting and know that you're safe. I came across this great story. A, a, a champion, award-winning farmer won awards for the best crop year after year after year. And on a TV program, he was asked once, what's your secret? His answer was simple. Take the award-winning grain that I've produced every year, and I go to all the neighboring farms, and I give them my top-grade grain. Because I've learned that when I give of my best, the wind blows the pollen of the excellent grain back onto my fields and I get even stronger grain the next year. That's what a father and a mother does. 
when heaven comes to earth and the culture of heaven gets grown. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Tim. Why don't we stand to our feet just for a minute, have a little stretch, have a little wiggle. Put a hand on the shoulder of someone who and say, give your strength away. <laughs> and we're going to welcome up Ben, who's going to finish us off this morning. Come, Ben. Let's welcome Ben, shall we? That was good. Good morning, guys. And um, happy Father's Day to, um, to all the dads here this morning. Um, as Simon mentioned, my name is Ben. I'm married to the lovely um, Yvette. I believe the picture will come up very soon. And we have two wonderful young kids. We, um, we recently moved back to Bedford in the last um, couple of years and really, really enjoyed being part of this family. You know, I think we've got something going on here, guys. Um, Work-wise, I'm a management consultant. I work within the pharmaceutical sector. I'm based in the city. And um, I'd like to say if anyone here understands what a management consultant does for a job. I'd really like you to talk to me afterwards. <laughs> right. To round up, it's an, it's an ongoing joke, right, in the management consulting world. To round up um, on, the, on the series of short talks we have this morning, I'm going to be looking at being a people who live out of knowing God as Father. I, I really um, couldn't start this talk without sharing an experience I had um, a few years ago when my daughter was um, under the age of two. We were visiting um, um, a different town, a different church on this particular Sunday, and I took my daughter to the kids' walk. Um, you know, and obviously being new to the church, I did what most parents would do, which is to hang around a little bit longer to be sure she settled in before going to join, um, to join the grown-ups. And while I was waiting, my daughter walked towards this little blonde boy um, of a similar age, um, he was crying, and my daughter went to ask him and said what the matter was, and the little boy said, I, I want daddy. I obviously did not follow the entire dialogue between the two of them, but um, I think it went something like this. Is it daddy you want? Yes, I want daddy. And, um, and my daughter says, don't worry, I'll take you to daddy. Grabs this boy's hands, they walk towards me, got to me, points to me, and says, here is daddy. Oh boy, as you could imagine, the look on this little boy's face <laughs> was one of utter confusion. He must have been thinking, when my dad dropped me off this morning, he was a white man. <laughs> He's changed. <laughs> you could also see the confusion in my daughter as well, because she was thinking, he said he wanted daddy. I brought him to daddy. What's his problem? Why is he still crying? <laughs> So cute. <laughs> Guys, I share this story, um, this funny story, um, because it's one that has actually left an impression on my life ever since then. You know, it's one that's left me asking myself quite often that, which father have I got my eyes on? You know, in the middle of many father figures in and around my life, from my physical dad to my mentors to great leaders and teachers around me, some inspirational bosses I have, my heroes of faith, which one do I really look up to? Is it God the father or is it one of the other father figures? Which one do I say, actually, this is my father, no one else would do? You know, I often ask myself, like, does it even, does it even bother me? when I'm doing life, without feeling connected, without the sense of being living out of relationship with God. 
and as we all know, it's, it's, it's really easy and, and I'm sure it happens to not just myself, to carry on living a Christian life without a place of intimacy and living out of knowing God. You know, we'll depend on good books, good behavior, good, you know, we've been given so much and it's so easy to carry on in our own ability and our own strength. But like this little boy, I guess I don't want to be, and I vow to myself then that I do not want to be in a place where I do life out of knowing God as my father and living from that place. You see, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see a man who had a relentless focus on um, his relationship with the father. You know, he was someone who understood how important it is, you know, in terms of to be all that he's going to be and to live out of the father, out of knowing the father. The two go hand in hand. And this morning, I just want to take a quick look at the story from, um, from Luke chapter 2, verse 41, which is going to come up on your screen very soon. There it is. Um, I'm just going to read this real quick. We won't go plenty of time. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did for the feast. When it was over, they left home. The child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking it was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among the relatives and neighbors. Top tip for parenting, do not leave your kids for a day without knowing where they are. <laughs> when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. I wonder why. And um, his mother said, the young man... You know you're in trouble when your mother calls you, young man. You know, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. Jesus said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I'll be here dealing with the things of my father? You know, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly deep within herself. And Jesus matured, growing in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and man. Guys, what we read here is a story of, um, of young Jesus at the age of, of 12 who was so focused on his father, who was so focused on his father's business. Um, in other versions, he said to his parents, you know, shouldn't you expect to find me in my father's house doing the things of my father? You know, I, I suspect this is not the first time this had happened, right? But um, I hear a couple of reasons why I think Jesus made this so important, and I think this is so relevant to us as we look to do life and be all that God wants us to be. I think relationship with God, the Father, means that we have access to an endless source of wisdom, which goes beyond natural human abilities. You know, we're told in verse 47 of the um, scripture I just read that all who heard him were astonished at his wisdom and his understanding. You know, it takes, <laughs> it takes a 12-year-old who is really firmly, deeply rooted and knows his father really well to be courageous enough to take on the scholars of his age and to have so much questions and wisdom to share. Guys, um, we told in verse 52 as well that he grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. And I think about this and I think if Jesus, who was perfect in every way, shape and form as we believe, had to grow in wisdom, I think you and I, also need this wisdom. 
you and I need to also grow in um, relationship with the Father, which leads to wisdom. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was in Asia on a business trip, and um, so happened I was having, I still don't understand this, but I was having drinks after work um, at the hotel bar with some businessmen, some high-level um, businessmen and women. And um, I can't understand how it happened, but the conversation suddenly led into God. And, and, you know, they were very harsh and hard on God and the church and, you know, the ignorance of Christians. And they had, so, they had solid points behind that. And to be honest, I kind of bottled it. I chickened out. I didn't say anything. You know, went back to my hotel room in shame that day, feeling like I denied Christ didn't, for not saying anything. And um, repented of that. Thank God for forgiveness. And um, the next day, strangely enough, I ended up with the same business, men and women. And guess what? The same topic came up again. At which point I was like, God, what is this? What are you trying to do here? You know? <laughs> and I just, I, I just remembered and I said, God, I just need your wisdom. I don't want the right words. I just want the timely words. You know? And these guys gave a very good argument. As, you know, and very clever people. And I just talked about my relationship with my children. I talked about the fact that they get things wrong. I talked about the fact that they mess up, but I still love them. Uh, you know, they have rules they have to follow. They often don't follow them, but I still love them. And that is how God sees us and sees the church. You know, that yes, the church will get things wrong. The church has made mistakes in the past, will carry on making mistakes in the past. But God's heart is for every one of us to love and to be loved and to be loved and to, for us to know his love. You know, and, um, and I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, you said enough. A seed has been sown. And one of the, one of the um, guys I was speaking to just said, wow, it's interesting. I've never been able to make the distinction between God and the church. You know? It's just interesting hearing that perspective. You know, um, I just feel like a seed was sown that evening. We're told in James 5, 1 verse 5, that if anyone lacks wisdom, they should go to God, the Father, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to them. Relation, this comes out of relationship, living a place of a relationship with God the Father. The second point I just want to quickly talk on is um, relationship with the Father leads to an accurate representation of God. You know, I don't know if you've noticed our human tendency to become like the one we behold. We all have a tendency to, you know, for, for the people we idolize, we study them, we learn everything about them, and before you know what, we begin to think, talk, act, and behave like them. You know, Jesus said, like, um, for him and the Father, they're one. He said he couldn't do anything of his own, but he can only do what he sees the Father doing. And I think you can only be one with someone who you really know. And you can only really know someone and accurately represent them if your time, effort, and focus is directed towards understanding that person. Guys, relationship with the Father, I miss the song we used to sing back in the days. I say it like I'm an old man, but I'm, you know, back in the days when we used to say, you know, the more we see him, the more we have the strength to face the day. The more we see him, the more we can be like him. There's a resemblance we get, you know, from spending time and knowing God as our Father. May I suggest that as we go through this week, that we be those people that live out of a place of knowing God as Father. I know this will look different from every one person, every one of us here this morning. You know, but one of the things I find personally helpful is to ask God at the start of my day and say, you know, Father, what's, what's on your agenda for today? My wife, on the other hand, prefers to say, what's on your heart for today? <laughs> Same question. 
And I find this helpful because it shifts my focus from me, myself, and I to God and what matters to him. You know, and um, God loves to give us experience when we prepare our talks. While I was preparing for this talk, I felt God that I woke up in the morning. I was like, yeah, beautiful day. I've got all these meetings, this and that to do. And I was like, God, what do you, what's on your heart for today? And he said, I want you to focus on a heart and attitude of true forgiveness. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. Sure enough, a few days later, a family situations arose. Family always give opportunities for forgiveness. <laughs> a family situation arose where I truly needed to put a forgiving heart into action. And there have been other times I've asked God the Father, you know, a recent um, experience was I was on a business trip to Boston um, in the States. And, you know, I woke up and asking God what he was on his heart. And he said, my heart is for you to pray for this city today. Pray that my, uh, my healing um, revival hits this town again. I began to, you know, I began to cry because my heart began to pour out for the city. And God was just telling me things he was wanting to do in the city. And I texted um, a few of my church leader friends in Boston and God and praying and we look forward to what he's going to do in that city and we bless that city you know but the point is that you know sometimes it's about stuff that's focused on me or around me other times it's big global things a people who live out of knowing God as father know what's on his heart and they make what matter to him matter to them guys let's let's be those people this week should we stand going to ask um, Tim and Chris back just to, just to, um, to come, come pray for us, if that's okay. Father, we, uh, we love being in your presence. We love letting your heart and your nature rub off on ours. We love being in Christ. We love having the identity that Jesus has and this morning uh, we just want to express our hunger, our desire, our choice that we need more of you and we're, we're wanting just to stand in your presence. Holy Spirit would you come and impart to us more revelation this week of just how amazing the Father is. Just as we've heard in three different facets how fathering is so important. We're, we're just saying to you uh, this morning um, our need of you is great. Uh, we leak every 24 hours. We want to come back and feed and just um, like a good uh, steak in the marinade, we want to come and marinate ourselves and get soaked and absolutely saturated in the way that you are, your nature, your heart, the way that you see other people and the way that you then want us to be with them. We're, we're hungry for you, Father. Yeah, Father, I just thank you for your heart for family. I thank you, Lord, that you've drawn us all together. I thank you that you are such an example of what it means to father well. And, and Lord, I just thank you that we get to draw on your resources. We don't need to depend on our own strength, our own abilities. We just get to draw on what you give us. And I just pray for each and every father here and each and every mother and each and every family member, Lord, that, that we'll all keep focused on you. But I particularly pray for fathers that they will be encouraged by this morning, whatever their situation, that they will know that you walk it with them. Um, and I thank you, Lord, that whatever the challenges, 
that we can look to you, as Ben said, that we can keep focused. You're the Father we need to keep our eyes on. You're the Father that we need to look to for a model. And I just thank you, Lord, that, that you're only too willing to walk alongside us. I thank you that this is not a hardship for you. You love to partner with us in family. And Lord, I thank you that this, that's my story. I thank you that it's Chris's story. I thank you that it's Ben's story. I thank you it's the story of many of us in the room this morning. And we pray, Lord, that that will continue, that we will continue to focus on you and partner with you in building family. Thank you, Jesus.